We must obey God rather than men, says St. Peter. Tradition holds that the Apostle Andrew was the younger brother of Peter. We don't have any other reliable information about whether there were more siblings in this family. But Peter has always struck me as an oldest child type. I have some experience with this. Uh, I'm the oldest of nine brothers and sisters and stepbrothers and stepsisters. So, for instance, Peter's often the first one to speak up when a question is asked. He assumes that the question is for him. And he takes on a lot of responsibility. He even goes as far as attempting to correct the Lord Jesus himself, which has led to some conjecture that perhaps Peter was actually slightly older than Jesus. We can imagine that Peter's father, we know his name, it's Jonah, uh, he had placed certain expectations on Simon that helped give him his sense of importance and purpose. And Jesus recognized these as positive qualities in Peter. Uh, This name Peter actually was not the one his biological father gave him, but it's the name that Jesus gave him. It means rock. Our Lord entrusted to him as representative of the apostles the keys of the kingdom. And as our Lord tells Peter in the gospel today, when he was younger, he was accustomed to making his own decisions, to lead. But what the crucifixion and resurrection have demonstrated beyond doubt is that sometimes, from the perspective of eternity, leadership means submission, submission to circumstances beyond one's control. Peter's mistake on Holy Thursday was to attempt to play both sides, to stick around in hope for a manifestation of the Messiah's power, but also to keep an escape route nearby, just in case. In other words, he was following his own judgment. St. John tells us that Peter was to glorify God by a death that was imposed upon him. And tradition amplifies this remark by having Peter crucified like his master, following him, as Jesus says at the end of the gospel. Only Peter asked to be crucified upside down so as not to be in any kind of competition with the Lord. Peter has this strength to undergo death as an older man, a strength that he lacked when he was younger, and he has this strength because he knows Jesus Christ alive in the Spirit. But again, this strength that he manifests is not a strength that is one of domination, of finally being able to bend circumstances in the world to my own judgment. This is rather a strength that grows as Peter allows his love for our Lord to grow. And it's significant that in this very poignant exchange that Jesus has with Peter at the end of today's gospel, he never mentions Peter's betrayal. Rather, he keeps appealing to what is best in Peter, the capacity to love. Peter's frequently shown in the Gospels to have an enthusiastic love for Jesus, as when today he jumps into the sea. He can't wait to turn the boat around and drag all those fish. No, he's got to get there first. He hurries to the shore. He loves Jesus for many reasons, I think. We're told one of them, and perhaps it's the most important one, because the Lord fulfills a longing for justice. And this is another thing that firstborns tend to have, this insistence on playing fair. Uh, There's this longing that Peter has for justice, 
And he has this as a young man. We know this. Because when Andrew goes and finds Peter at the beginning of John's Gospel, he says, we found the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the one that pious Jews were waiting for. Those who felt the incongruity of being the chosen people, but being a subject people, subject to pagans, to heathens, the Romans. Obviously, uh, it's likely that a certain shame attached to this situation. And the danger in this is that expectations would be placed on the Messiah and the living God whom he represented, expectations that were human expectations, that grew out of a, a human thirst for justice. And that's exactly what Peter is scolded for. He wants a messianic spectacle, and this grows out of what is least admirable in Peter, his impatience, his resentment at Roman power. So, no, 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 Lord, not for you to be crucified. But again, our Lord does not emphasize this. He emphasizes what's best in Peter. This love, it needs purifying. His love for God and God's Messiah needed to be turned around and seen from the divine perspective, not the human perspective, to obey God rather than men. There's a sense in our world that many of us have, I think, that we're being led where we do not want to go. And uh, a few of us are old enough to remember times when uh, it seemed otherwise, like we could choose our own paths, that a brighter future awaited, whether we look back to the time after Vatican II or after, for, for me, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Soviet Union ending. Uh, there was a sense of the future that we could determine for ourselves now. Everything was going to go right. But this, is always, uh, this always comes with a trap, you know. Building our own better world is not necessarily what God is asking us to do. Nor is it entirely clear that such a human project will end up glorifying God. What glorifies God is an unwavering faith, a knowledge of Jesus Christ alive, feeding us with his body and blood, a knowledge of the Holy Spirit interpreting the scriptures and interpreting the signs of the times for us. And the confidence that comes with this. This witness will manifest itself in two ways, if Peter is a model for us in today's gospel. First of all, this witness that we give is going to be rooted in repentance, an admission that the thoughts of God transcend my thoughts, an admission that I tend to prefer my own thoughts. I tend to want things to go my way when I lapse in vigilance and awareness of Christ's presence and the Holy Spirit's presence. But more importantly, this witness is going to be one of confidence in the face of trial. It's a faith that doesn't waver when God seems, from our human perspective, to go silent. Uh, I'm not saying that this is a faith of indifference or muteness in the face of persecution or slander, evil of various kinds. Rather, it's a faith that understands that in this world which is passing away, we will have trials. Our Lord promised this. But Christ has overcome the world, he says. He's inviting all persons, first ourselves, to repentance, to faith, and ultimately to triumph. All will work out. Not only that, but he extends this invitation even to our enemies. And it is our faith that will have the best chance of winning them over that will witness to the reality of Christ's life, of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe, Lord. May you strengthen our unbelief.